And so I'm going to continue uh, speaking today uh, on the lessons from the early church, uh, really as God has touched my heart on this, on this message. Uh, and so today, we're going to study how God brings an extraordinary man out of the early church, uh, and that is Stephen. Stephen was an ordinary man. He was not an apostle. He was not an evangelist. He was not a preacher. But he was so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that he winds up giving the greatest sermon, really, in the entire New Testament that is devoted more to what he said there in Acts than in any of the passages from Paul. Uh, he was an extraordinary man. And so what does it mean when a man who was designated as effectively a deacon, a man who was effectively designated to take care of the widows, uh, and uh, was assigned the responsibility of the tables. What does it mean when that man is so filled with responsibility that God takes him and elevates him to an even greater purpose in life? And that's the nature of what this sermon is about, how God basically wants each of you to have a ministry, each of you to have a call on your life. And so we're going to focus now on Stephen this week and next week. And next week, I'm going to uh, preach on the first apologetic in the New Testament, which is appropriate since we're going to be starting a whole series uh, in our Bible class on apologetics. And Stephen will give the first apologetic, and it's very powerful. But today, we're going to study his character, his grace, his filling by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so he bridges the gap. Uh, in the early church between Peter, who was the first dominating person in the church, and Paul, uh, who will succeed Stephen. And, and so Stephen bridges that gap. Uh, and as you know, Peter spoke to the Jews. Paul spoke to the Gentiles. Stephen speaks to the Jews coming out of Gentile lands. Stephen speaks to the Jews who are coming from all different places in the world as they come into Jerusalem. And so he bridges the gap uh, between Peter and Paul. It was his ministry that really catapulted the Jerusalem church uh, into a worldwide church as people would leave and come in and hear this message and would be inspired. Uh, and that was the catalytic effort that he had. Uh, and so if you look at Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 8 to 15, you'll read as follows. Now, Stephen a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And let me stop there. Performing great signs and wonders, meaning God took this simple man in charge of the widows and allowed him to do miracles, allowed him to do wonderful things and give signs, and people saw it. This comes by the blessing of God. This is when you bow in submission to what God's call is on your life, how God elevates you. You know, you don't have to brag about how good you are, about how strong you are as a Christian, about your giftedness. You don't have to say a thing because God would prefer you not say a thing. You let him lift you up, and that's what he did there. And so opposition, as you can imagine, arose. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews, of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. They didn't like what he had to say. It, it affronted them. 
but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as they spoke. And I want you to underline that in your mind and in your Bible, understanding this, that when God fills you with the Holy Spirit and he pours that Spirit into your life, and when you speak about him, nobody can stand against it and refute it. Oh, they'll say words, but the words will be cut to shreds because God is using the Holy Spirit to advance his will. Then they secretly, and this is what happens. Well, when you can't win the battle of the debate, what do you do next? Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses, just like they did with Jesus, who testified this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. What liars, what slanderers, what blasphemers. And so all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the last time that you heard that expression was Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, carrying the tablets, and his face shone so brightly that the people hadn't put a veil on his face because he had been in the presence of God. And when you are in the presence of God, that's exactly how your face looks. That's what your face looks like when you've devoted yourself. And so they saw it. God was putting his imprimatur on Stephen at that point. And so Stephen was in many ways a forerunner of Paul. He would only have a very short period of time in Scripture. He was a young man. He boldly confronted the synagogues of the foreign Jews in Jerusalem, even entering them in debate uh, about their erroneous positions uh, and facing up to the point of physical persecution. They wanted to kill him, but he didn't back down. Uh, it is most probable that Paul's first exposure uh, to the gospel came through Stephen. I believe that that's probably true. His death must have left an indelible impression on Paul. Now, Stephen was a key figure in the early history of the church. He was significant because of his character. He was proof of the fact that the, a man could have an enormous impact uh, on, the, on the kingdom of God, even if that man only lives a short time. Uh, and so God's plan for world evangelism started with this man. Uh, and he demonstrated that the efforts of one courageous, godly, upright man, uh, even though it's of only a short duration, could change the world forever. Now, Stephen's selfless and fearless proclamation of the gospel led him to pay the ultimate price for that commitment. They killed him. Uh, he was the first Christian martyr, and there would be many more to come through the history of the church. Uh, when Stephen died, the church grieved loudly for a long period of time because he was so beloved. But God wants us to live each day like it's our last. And can you say that about yourself? Are you living for God today as if this is the last day that you have on this earth and that tomorrow you would face him and explain to him what you've done with your life for him? 
I would say that many of us can't say that we're doing that. And I think that's the import of this message as well. You see, God laid out the mission for his life, and he embraced it and took it. Uh, he planted the seeds, even though he was only here for a short time. And so we will focus on his spiritual nobility, his character, his courage, and his countenance. All of this comes out of the first century church. Now, verse uh, 55 uh, in Acts chapter 7 describes Stephen as being full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was totally controlled by his faith in God. In every aspect of his life, he trusted God for sovereignty in every part of his life and total control of his life. Uh, Stephen saw Jesus as the very fulfillment of messianic prophecy, and he believed that Jesus had risen and now stood at the right hand of the Father. And if you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 52, you'll see part of his sermon there as he made this speech. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels but had not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he's saying this as the stones are raining down on him to kill him. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would become Paul, whose life would shortly change forever who would wind up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But you see, Stephen is lighting the match. Stephen is lighting the match. And the match will ignite Paul all through the Holy Spirit. Now, sadly, today, many Christians could not be described as being full of faith. Many of us, while trusting God to their eternal destiny, we believe in God, we're saved, at least we say we are, they find it difficult to trust God with the daily concerns of their everyday life. Stephen was not like that. He committed to God in every possible way, being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to obey his will fully, in every way, at every moment, 24 hours a day. Stephen believed God and submitted to his will every single day. Now, a spiritual reality that flows out of that trust and obedience that characterized Stephen was grace. Grace. And he had that. He walked in the fullness of the Spirit, uh, even as he faced death, even as he was with people who hated him, who persecuted him. Uh, but that hatred that he experienced did not control him. That's what the grace of God is about. So that even when you're with people who repudiate you and hate you for what you are, what you represent, 
God has given you the grace to walk away from that, to endure in the face of that, just as Jesus did. Uh, Stephen was even gracious towards his executioners, who, as they were hurling stones down upon him, said, Lord, lay not this sin at their feet. Forgive them, Father. Can you imagine being able to pray like that to the very people who are killing you, who are destroying you? Well, that's what the fullness of the Holy Spirit is about and the grace that God gives us. And so Stephen also was full of power. This is a direct result of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this, he was performing great wonders and signs. He was healing people. God was using him to produce miracles. This very simple, ordinary man had the power of the Holy Spirit poured into his life, and he was doing incredible things. And this is a basic New Testament principle that if you are a righteous man, God will allow you to do righteous things. Um, Paul teaches that repeatedly, uh, that all Christian joy and usefulness flow out of faith and obedience. If you have your scripture, we have it on the board. Look at Colossians 3, verses 8 to 9. But now, he says, you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You must rid yourself, meaning what? It's an active proposition on your part. It doesn't just take place by accident, but through the impact of the Holy Spirit, it's as if God has given you the muscles to do this. Stop being angry. Stop raging. Stop having malice. Stop slandering people. And stop using filthy language from your mouth. Even if you have to give up golf. And he continues in that passage, do not lie. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, it's amazing. God, he's speaking to Christians. They were to do this because they had laid aside the old self and had taken up the new self. Uh, and it's expressed even more poignantly by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, where he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I ask you, are you humble? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you gentle? Do you want to be? Well, you can. He's empowered you to do that but it requires an active participation on your part. Uh, look also at what he says there uh, in uh, verse, uh, Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of, of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the secret to the kind of life that Stephen had, that he had those qualities, that they imbued his life. How, how critical it is to get rid of the bitterness in our life. Why are so many of us bitter? You've been saved. 
If God called you tonight to go to heaven, you'd be with Jesus Christ. And you live in Naples, Florida. What more do you want? You're experiencing heaven and earth even now. And yet so many of us still walk around with the old man. There's still bitterness and anger and malice. Look, folks, God has called you to get rid of that. God has called you to eliminate those, those characteristics. And the key is to start forgiving people. Start forgiving people, remembering just as God forgave you. Stephen's life, really, displayed incredible grace and power because he was filled with submission and obedient faith uh, with the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you bow to God and allow him to fill your life. These traits marked him with greatness, uh, and it's so often overlooked. There is no other pass, path to a virtuous Christian character and spiritual influence. If you want to have great Christian character, if you want to be used by God, if you want to be an influence for the kingdom of God, these are the qualities that you have to have. This is how you act in the way that Stephen did. There's no other way. Uh, and so what happens? The man with that kind of character can stand up against any kind of attack. No attack against him would stand. And so the enemies of the church rose up and argued with him, and debated him. And guess what? They lost. They lost, because you can't debate against the Holy Spirit. And, you, and, that, and the important part for you is to understand what you need to do to prepare yourself for those kinds of debates. Uh, the debates, no, no doubt, centered uh, on the death and resurrection and life of Jesus Christ, and about the inability of Moses and the Lord to save people. That's right. He said it. You have Moses, and you didn't follow the law, and the law will never save a single person. His opponents were unable to cope with that truth uh, and the wisdom. Uh, and human reasoning is no match for the reasoning of God and the power of God. And so if you want to be an effective public speaker for God, you have to remember two things. First of all, unarguable truth and potent delivery. That's what it is. Speaking the truth, powered by the Holy Spirit of God in an effective way. His opponents could not handle this, and so they changed tactics. They lied about him. They slandered him. They blasphemed him uh, by saying that he blasphemed Moses and God, which was an absolute lie. And then they recruited false witnesses. And let me tell you, this is the religious elite of Israel. Do you see the nature of religious hypocrisy? Do you wonder why so many churches today seem to be coming apart at the seams? Do you wonder why churches are falling apart? It's very simple. They've lost their way. They're filled with religious hypocrisy. The Holy Spirit is not in residence in many of these churches because if it were, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would tell people, get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. You understand? This is the message that God is delivering us today as we look at the first century church. And so since these people were fanatically zealous for Moses and supposedly God, they were stirred up with these false charges. Uh, and so they went out and attacked Stephen. And yet he reiterated the gospel to them in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 53. And I want you to think about what this is like, knowing that these people are about to murder you 
and despise you, and yet you're called by God to deliver the truth of the gospel. And there it says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. His courage marked him for greatness. And so during this trial, as they persecute him, his face shone like the face of an angel. Acts chapter 6, verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. How does that happen? What happens is that God honors you. He lifts you up when you stand for God even as you are in the, in the presence of your enemies. Your enemies will see who you are. They will remember who you are. They may not even remember all the words that they say that you said, but they will look at your visage. They will see the poster board of your life, and they will not forget. And so his face shone like the face of an angel. And so far from being evil, Stephen was being elevated by God. Uh, God himself was answering the false charges, even in the way that he put his presence and countenance on Stephen, since the only one prior to that that had that was Moses. And so he thus demonstrated his approval of Stephen's teaching in the same way that he did of Moses. And now you understand that the old covenant was being replaced by the new covenant, and it was a whole different thought process. And you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. And this is important because this pulls this whole sermon together. Now, if the ministry that brought death, and that's the old covenant, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that now brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with this surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts forever? And by putting his glory on Stephen's face, God showed his approval of the new covenant. Yes, this is the new covenant, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we reflect on this great man, his character and his courage. It all shines through. He was great uh, in God's sight. God used him in a mighty way. God singled him out as one of the greatest men since Moses, uh, one of the greatest men who would ever live, one of the men who would change forever the gospel of Christ and allow it to be perpetuated throughout the world. Every believer in the church should use him uh, as an example, as what we should be. And now there are lessons from his life a few lessons I would like to reiterate with you. First of all, the core 
of Christian commitment is service. Paul saw a Stephen was a servant. He bowed before God when he was given the role of being a deacon, taking care of the widows, taking care of the finances, taking care of the food, taking care of the everyday issues. Did he say, oh, no, I can't do this. I'm a preacher. I'm an evangelist. Oh, no. No, instead he bowed in submission uh, to serve God. And I would say that it's humbling to pull into this church. If you had the chance to be here at 7 o'clock in the morning as I am, you would see an incredible picture as you see men and women coming together to serve God, as you see guys in here hauling all kinds of equipment and putting all kinds of wire down. One of the guys told me this morning that when he went to the storage facility, he couldn't get in because the combination had been changed. And so what did he do? And this is a guy in his 70s. He crawled under the fence. He crawled under the fence. It's 6.30 in the morning, and this 70-something-year-old guy is crawling under the fence in order to get into the storage facility so that you can have church today. And so then, when you come in, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Chuck. And then you come in, and you see coffee is set up, all right? And the treats are set up. Well, that takes place at about 7.30. People come in and get coffee and bring it in and set it up. And men and women are in here doing all these things. They are committed to serving the people of God. It doesn't happen by accident. This is exactly the example of, of Stephen. This is the attitude of a servant. Nobody says, oh, wait a minute. I'm not called to crawl under a fence. I'm an important person. No. I'm going to do what God calls me to do in order to advance the kingdom of God. You understand? I'm going to do, and this applies to all of you, as we seek to plug every single one of you into ministry. That's our role. It's not about me. It's about him. And that's how we have to live. Secondly, nothing is more important than the word of God. Nothing is more important than the word of God. Stephen lived it every moment of his life in uttering the word of God. Nothing is more important than the word of God. God has called me to this pulpit specifically to preach the word of God. I am a teaching pastor, and I will, to my last breath, teach the word of God. And I have to say this. As just as important as it is for me to teach the word of God, it's just as important for you to learn the word of God, to study the word of God. Uh, and, and you see Stephen doing that. And here's what I want you to do. You may actually have to memorize and reflect on some of these passages because when Stephen was brought up to the Sanhedrin and he is now defending God, do you think he said, let me take a look at my notes? I need to see my notes let me check that scripture. No, there's no notes. The notes are in your head. And that's one of the things you're going to learn in apologetics. This is what God wants you to do. Yes, I'm preaching the word. You have to digest the word. You have to memorize the word and commit the word. That's what God wants you to do. And he's given you the Holy Spirit so that you can do it. Third, Stephen proves that God does his greatest work through Ordinary people. Ordinary people, not giants, but ordinary people. The gospel was advanced primarily through small people, simple people that were there on the day of Pentecost who went back to all kinds of different countries 
and started to speak about Jesus Christ. Going to the various ends of the earth. We have to remember this because sometimes you look at the book of Acts and you think, oh, I'm not Paul. Oh, I'm not Stephen. But guess what? Stephen was an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man. And God used him. And so I would say this, that, that this means that God wants to use you. When you find that ministry that he's given you, God, you have to run with it and hold on to it in a tight way. And then here's another principle that Stephen tells us in his life. Christians are a befuddling contradiction to the world. Let me repeat that. Christians are a befuddling contradiction to the world. Why is that? Because here's Stephen who says, you killed Jesus. You stoned the prophets. And then, as they kill him, he prays for them. He asks God to forgive them. Who does that in this world without being inspired by the Holy Spirit? Only a Christian can act that way. That's what befuddles the world. That somebody with such great intellect or great talents could say, I don't care about my talents. And we have guys in this church, men and women in this church with doctoral level degrees, people who have led large companies, and yet they're there pouring coffee, pouring coffee because God has laid on their heart that their role is to be a servant. Amen, church? Amen. And so... The sad truth is that even if you speak graciously and befuddle the word, world, there is a chance that the world will still destroy you, that the world will kill you. You see that with Stephen. But if it is the will of God that this bright light shines in a moment so spectacularly and that it is snuffed out, well, then that's the will of God. We walk with the will of God because we know that that's how he uses our lives. And sometimes God's will is for us to be martyred. Sometimes he calls us home. We don't have a right to live forever. We walk within his sovereign will. Sometimes God allows people to suffer. I don't understand it. Oh, but I will say this. Some of the greatest sermons that preached to my life were preached by people who were dying and people who were suffering. The greatest sermons in my life. And God's lessons to me were the greatest when I lost, when I stumbled, not when I was victorious, because when I was victorious, I was so full of myself, I couldn't possibly hear what God was saying. But when God made me think, and when I went through darker times, and when I was suffering, that's when I could hear the voice of God. And I would say that to you as an encouragement. And so look, folks, this is what we aspire to be. We all aspire to live the life of Stephen. We all want to impact the world the way Stephen did. And so if you do, if you want to make this church great, if you want to be used by God in the most powerful way, you need to find the ministry that he's given you. You need to accept the giftedness for that ministry. And you need to coordinate your life and take these characteristics that we've talked about. Grace and get rid of malice and anger, and imbue yourself with love because he's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the musculature to do this. And so many of us are walking around limping even though we've been given the Holy Spirit because we haven't taken it up. We haven't asked God to do that for us. 
And so only when you do this can you see and stand as stones are raining down upon you, as vicious people who hate you, who repudiate you, can you look up and see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I will say that's exactly what will happen to you. You will get that vision. You will see the Lord. You will be empowered by that vision. And you will be allowed to change the world even as you are an ordinary person. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for this example of Stephen coming out of the first century church. Lord, how he has touched our lives. Father, we desire to live that kind of life, to be able to speak out for you, Father, and to stand in the face of evil and repudiate evil. Evil, Lord, I ask you that you strengthen our people. You give them the courage to stand tall and understand what our role is in life as we each one take the ministry that you've given us, Father. Take that ministry, embrace that ministry, and lift it to you as we serve you, Father. Bless our people in every way. Protect them in this coming week and bring them back to continue the study and worship of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, church.